Hello everyone, my name is Wendy Myers. Thank you so much for joining us on the podcast today. You can check my website out at myersdetox.com. I've got hundreds of podcasts and hundreds of articles about how to detox your body of heavy metals and more. And today we have my friend Kirsten Nussgruber on the show and she's gonna be talking about the top five foods to aid detox. And she's a cancer expert, so she's gonna be kind of weaving in why these top five foods are helpful uh, when you have cancer, going through cancer treatments or post-cancer treatment, and even to prevent cancer, uh, these five foods are really key in helping to facilitate detox your body and prevent cancer and help you if you have a cancer diagnosis as well. This is a really interesting show because we actually haven't talked about this before on the show. Uh, we've been have hundreds of podcasts, over 250 podcasts, uh, but just haven't talked about top foods to beat cancer to aid detox. So I'm really excited about this show. It's really, really great information, a lot of simple, practical tips on how to incorporate these foods into your diet as well. And I had a great weekend. Uh, I just moved to Huntington Beach and uh, I'm just, I'm so happy. It's just really, really peaceful down here. I was living up in Los Angeles before, kind of near downtown Los Angeles where it's extra toxic. There's so much EMF. I don't know what I was thinking. So I decided to make a change and come down here to Huntington Beach. And it's just so relaxing. There's a lot less EMF here than, uh, you know, because there's a more concentrated population in Los Angeles. And I'm enjoying it so much. I live five minutes from the beach. I'm going on bike rides a few times a week. And uh, my daughter's going to a, a really wonderful public school now. And she was in private school before, but here the public school system is so good that um, I felt comfortable putting her in the public school system here and uh, just really enjoying life. It's sunny here every day. And I planted an herb garden this weekend. And I've been wanting that for years for whatever reason. I just was super busy here, just, you know, didn't take the time to do that for myself. So I'm really excited. I finally decided that I wanted to have a plethora of all different types of fresh herbs that I could use in cooking. So I have this rule now where I have to have fresh herbs in every single meal that I make for myself and for my daughter. And so I also use uh, sprouts as well. So that's my role, uh, sprouts and fresh herbs for every single meal. And rather than buying them in the grocery store and having them you know, cut, having been cut that morning or cut a few days ago and then having them sit in the fridge and losing nutrients that whole time, now I can cut them totally fresh or it's almost like still alive and quivering while I'm eating it. So I'm really, really excited about that. And I encourage you to do the same, incorporate fresh herbs into your diet every single day and grow some herbs yourself in some pots. And it's really, really simple and easy to do from scratch and not very expensive. For any of you guys that are curious about your metal levels in your body, I created this amazing quiz, very, very simple quiz that you can take at metalsquiz.com to assess the metal levels that you may have in your body. It's a 14 uh, question quiz. It takes like two minutes to go there and answer all of the questions. So I encourage you to go there if you've been curious about if maybe some of your habits, dietary habits are maybe contributing to the toxic metal load in your body. Simply go to metalsquiz.com and find out for yourself. Our guest today is Kirsten Nussgruber. Uh, she is an empathetic cancer mentor, author, and speaker who is passionate about helping people get out of cancer overwhelm by teaching them how to reclaim their lives. A two-time cancer survivor herself, she learned firsthand the importance of an integrative and functional medicine approach to one's health to facilitate true healing. Kirsten is a graduate of the Munich-based Zentrum for Natural Heilkunde as board-certified nutritional consultant, a professional member of the National Association of Nutrition Professionals, board-certified by the American Association of Nutritional Professionals, and certified health coach by the American Association of Drugless Practitioners. Kirsten offers individualized one-on-one -on -one mentoring, can be hired for inspirational speaking engagements, and offers training and support programs such as her First Steps to Take Charge of Your Cancer Care program. 
She's also the best-selling author of Convention, Confessions of a Cancer Conqueror, My Five-Step Process to Transform Your Relationship with Cancer. She's also co-host of the hashtag All Things Cancer podcast, a monthly guest blogger for the Anti-Cancer Club, and heads the Cancer Support Program at Valley Integrative Pharmacy in Bedminster, New Jersey. She has featured frequently in a variety of holistic internet radio shows and online podcasts and was a monthly contributing author for the online Sybil magazine for the spirit and soul of woman. You can find her website at kirstenscancercare.com. Kirsten, thanks so much for coming on the show. Thanks for having me, Wendy. I'm honored to be here. Why don't you tell the listeners a little bit about your story of surviving cancer and why you've dedicated your life to helping cancer patients? Sure. Well, I was diagnosed with my first breast cancer. I was just 39 at the time, and I actually was in the middle of my nutrition studies. We were living in Germany at the time, and I went to school there. And uh, that made it all clear to me that that was kind of the direction that I wanted to go in because at the same time as we're trying to fight cancer, we also need to move beyond that and realize that, you know, we need to do things differently and how can we also become proactively involved in creating an environment that will not allow cancer to happen again or will strengthen it, that it can just deal with the onslaught of the treatments that we may be doing. So being in my nutrition studies at that point in time, you know, was it was easy for me to kind of really focus on that pathway, on that niche and finding out which foods are super, super important to to deal with that, because that's something we can do proactively every single day. We have to eat, don't we? And we might as well make that count. And to me personally, it was always important to find out why, you know, why am I supposed to eat a certain food? Why are they saying that eating this particular food will do that for me? To me, it was always why, why, why? So that's kind of my personal passion and always trying to find out the reason for something rather than just following suit and saying, okay, you tell me to eat that, I will do that. Because um, I want to explain it to you as well. I want to give you the, the, the reasons um, why so that you can use that information to keep yourself motivated. So that's just how I work. And yes. I'm assuming that many out there work in a similar fashion because once you know the background to something, you know, it's easier for you to keep on that bandwagon of, you know, I'm doing this because I'm doing this because, you know, these foods are giving me not just the vital nutrients or antioxidants that I need because we hear a lot about that. Eat this because it gives you these and these and these nutrients. Well, of course, that is the case. But. There is a whole other side to certain foods. You know, what else can they do? How else can they influence this delicate biochemistry inside your body, which is absolutely fascinating to me and plays a role in detoxification? Right? Yes. Because when we have cancer, one role that is kind of failing in our body is our body's ability to detoxify properly. So, you know, something went wrong there, something got tweaked there in our again in our biochemistry and we need to focus on that as well and by focusing on certain foods incorporating them into a very regular way of eating you know we're doing this every single day and we don't always have to think we need to do this big thing and it's going to disrupt my life and I hope that it's going to end soon you know very often we associate this kind of mentality around certain changes that we need to make but when it's just focusing on food and understanding why certain foods play a big role, and then of course taking it one step further, which is then what I do personally when I when I coach my clients, is how do you implement that? Now you have the knowledge, now you know what you need to do, how do you actually make it work so that it's fun, that it tastes good, that you're enjoying it, and then you can keep it going. It's the sustainability over you know the long haul, which is is very important here too. Yeah. And once someone has a cancer diagnosis, it's a wake up call that they need to change their diet. They need to be focused more on healthy, fresh foods, juicing and things like that. But why wait until you or a loved one has a cancer diagnosis? You can start today helping your body, uh, nourishing your body and giving it foods that help it detoxify. So let's yeah. talk about some of the top foods in your opinion that help to aid detoxification and gentle cleansing of the body. 
Sure. Well, the way I approach this with my clients is I kind of go walk them through the main organs of elimination in the body. So to, to just kind of give them a, a mental picture of what, what bodily systems are we actually trying to support. So, of course, the liver plays a very important role in detoxification, uh, kidneys, the lymphatic system, your lungs as well, your colon, of course, your whole digestive tract, and then your skin. So each of those categories have some specific foods that kind of really support them. Um, but I know we have limited time, although we could talk about this all day long. But um, let's just focus on the liver a little bit and the yes. kidneys and the lymph. Would that be okay? Yes, let's do it. Yeah. So for the liver, of course, the liver is your main organ that really breaks down the toxins and it does so in different stages phase one and phase two and these are very acute stages of detoxification that need to work in synergy so it's very important to again understand that that we need to support both phases of detoxification otherwise we can actually become you know um, a lot more toxic and we can actually even thwart the process of detoxification in the body so it's very important to understand this that there are phase one and phase two um, um, uh, mechanisms in the liver for, you know, trying to just keep it plain and simple here that we need to support. So really, really awesome foods for the liver um, uh, in, in the greens category are dandelion greens. And uh, you might think, what, that weed out there? Uh, yes, that weed out there. It's the, the leaves uh, in particular, you, the root too, but in, in particular leaves, dandelion leaves are super, super, super potent liver detoxifiers. So how do we use them? We, you know, can use them very easily in smoothies, right? That's how I do it on a very regular basis. We can also turn them into salads. Now, I'm seeing more and more of dandelion greens actually being grown for consumption. So, um, you know, you find them in your local supermarkets, uh, in, usually in the organic sections. But in, in, in the general fresh produce section, that's where you see bunches of dandelion greens. And they, they look at, I mean, people sometimes think it's just another form of spinach. Um, but, you know, it's dandelion greens. And depending on the season, they obviously are either spring or fall. Um, their, their leaves will be a little bit sturdier. For example, the fall ones now a little bit sturdier um, than the spring ones. Now, spring is generally associated with this this real cleansing of the liver after the long winter. But uh, for me, uh, being a, a cancer survivor myself, it's just important to support the liver throughout. So when I see fresh bunches of dandelion greens, um, you know that's just what I, I do. I, I take it uh, throughout the year. You can also drink dandelion tea kind of also has an effect um, but people generally need to adapt to that you know when you have real true herbal teas they can be quite bitter and they're more of a medicinal drink and I'll be honest um, you know that's not your let's sit down and enjoy a nice cup of tea moment that's not what dandelion tea will do for you and that's okay that's okay so why not eat it why not eat the actual leaf um, and again you know that's that's one favorite of mine so the dandelion greens um, and the other um, super potent liver food that I really love and I only got to love when I kind of was older certainly not as a kid not as a teenager not even as a young adult maybe to my detriment and that's beets right beets now most of them are red you can get uh, orange beets as well but beets um, the real bright red beets are again super super potent liver detoxifiers and you know I have a trick with beets, and when I tell my clients this trick, they usually love that, is roast them. Roast them in their skin, then peel them, and the peel comes off like butter, although you do still need to wear gloves because they do stain. You can actually use it as natural food coloring, by the way, that red pigment. But roasting, any form of root vegetable, brings out their natural sweetness. So it turns into this more bitter root uh, vegetable into kind of a, a, a um, an allowed sweet treat because it's a natural uh, food and so what I do on a regular basis I take bunches of whole red beets I wrap them first in unbleached white um, not white but unbleached parchment paper and then I wrap the aluminum foil around it I don't want the actual root to touch the aluminum yes not good. 
Um, I know you'll second that. That's a good tip. That's a really good tip to avoid the aluminum toxicity that could be had from the aluminum foil. And you just you, you just want to eliminate any possible chance of adding to your toxic burden, and that's just one way of doing it. Yes. So if you wrap it, if you just use um, the parchment paper, it won't it won't stay closed. The whole thing will just flop open. So I use the aluminum foil to make it into a package, but they never touch. Yes. And then you do need to roast it usually for over an hour for it to get nice and soft. Uh, and then you just let it cool and um, you can easily peel it. And then I store it in, in, in glass containers in the fridge. And I usually do batches. So I usually do like six roots at the same time. And then you can use it throughout the week. You can cut it up into salads. You can cut it up and slice it just as a, as a side condiment. Um, but you basically can have a little bit of red beet every single day. Um, drizzle it with a little bit of olive oil, maybe a little bit of herbal salt. Um, that's enough. And sometimes I just eat it just like that, with with no nothing else with it, um, just because it's so it's so delicious. You do want to add a little bit of like some form of healthy fat with it, though, because you know fat helps to absorb the fat soluble vitamins. So that's important to to you know at least drizzle a little bit of olive oil if that's the minimum that you do. Um, you can also grate. You can just, you know, take the raw beet and again, you have to wear gloves and um, that's when you have to peel it first with a peeler and then you grate it using a grater and create almost like a coleslaw. Just understand that whatever else you're mixing to that salad will turn the color red. Um, So if you grate a, a carrot into it or kohlrabi or cabbage, you know, white cabbage, it'll turn red. <laughs> so um, just understand that. But that even raw is an incredible detoxifying food for you. Or you use it for juicing. You you mentioned juicing. So let's just digress the difference between a smoothie or a shake and juicing. If I make a smoothie, I use a blender and then I blend the entire contents make it creamy, make it thick, right? In other words, I'm pureeing the contents. Whereas if I use a juicer, I'm extracting the juice only and the remaining fiber gets discarded. So it's a different beverage that you end up with. The one has fiber and is filling and the other one is has just real raw, very, very bioavailable nutrients there and then it does not have fiber. So it does have an effect on your blood sugar levels. And that's why people can sometimes use that. For example, if you have like an afternoon slump and sometimes people will then go and grab, I need my cup of coffee in the late afternoon, you can actually go and grab a juice, make it, make yourself a fresh juice. That'll have the same effect. It'll kind of kick you back up uh, yes. into action again because you get kind of a raise in your blood sugar levels yeah and and juicing i love juicing too because it's really concentrated minerals and minerals are so deficient in the soil and you know if you're sitting doing a carrot beet juice and you're using two pounds of carrots to make that juice and some beets you're going to get all those minerals and nutrients in all those carrots and you couldn't eat that at one sitting by yourself and so it just really really concentrates the nutrients Yeah. yeah So, and that is, you know, beets you can use in the same way there. Uh, Again, it'll turn everything red, um, but that's a really good support. I did that a lot with my, when I was going through chemotherapy, I actually was blessed to have a juice bar near the cancer center where I had to go. Um, So that was always a treat for me. (laughs) You know, when you go somewhere, they actually juice for you rather than you having to do it yourself. Um, And that was always one of the things I did. I wanted to have like a, a liver support because especially when you're getting something like chemotherapy, you really, really have to um, support that liver even more so. And, um, you know, juice that included beets um, did the thing for me. So um, the dandelion greens, the beets, um, green tea is another really great food for the liver. Um, you know, real, and when I say real green tea, I mean, buy, you know, get into the habit of buying loose green tea so you can really develop a taste for the actual flavors of green tea um when you buy them in um you know the the ordinary tea bags and it's almost like powder you're not getting the full flavor of the green tea now so you get some tea bags that will include tea leaves in other words when you steep it they open up and 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 their their volume their bulk increases then you know you're having more of the real leaves and that's what i use i use the loose leaves i have a like a 
uh, a sieve that is the size of my mug. So when I put a teaspoon of the leaves in that, you know, they really expand almost three quarters full of that actual little sieve because the, the leaves un uncurl and unfurl. But you get a lot of really great, um, um, not just nutrients, but um, phytonutrients from the green tea. So if you include that uh, in your daily diet, you are um, really, you know, not only adding cancer fighting nutrients to it, but you're actually supporting your liver in, in the process as well. And you can develop a taste for green tea. Um, I started off too with green tea and I needed to sweeten it a little bit. Um, that's how I started. And I slowly weaned myself off that because if we want the taste buds to really change and enjoy a beverage that isn't sweetened anymore, we need to give it time so that we kind of grow into that. And then you'll be absolutely amazed. It works every single time if you give it enough time and your taste buds adjust and you go back to what you used to eat or drink, you won't be able to tolerate the sweetness anymore. It'll be too sweet for you because you've allowed the time it takes to adapt your taste buds. So it's awesome. It's really awesome. So I drink my green tea a lot um, and I don't need it to be sweetened. So there goes that that sugar addition, yeah. um, I could, uh, you know, eliminate that very yeah. easily. I love a jasmine dragon pearl green tea. That's my absolute yes. favorite green tea. Yes. It's been prepared yes. the same way for thousands of years. And they have these yes. uh, very fragrant jasmine flowers yes. they use to scent the, the ball. They're in, in balls, the green tea leaves. They come yeah, in. they come in these balls. Yeah. They make them and by see hand. Them yeah. 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 So it's just a wonderful way to experience green tea. Mm. No, I agree with you. And um, I have, I don't want to brag, but to me, that's, you know, that's my passion. I like green tea. I have about 15 different flavors uh, and they're just, just, it's just green tea. There's nothing else with it. I, I'm not the type of person that needs other things added to it. I just want the actual green tea leaf. Um, but from all over, I go to China, to Japan, um, you know, even from Rwanda, um, from Nepal, there, there are many areas um, and uh, they all have a distinct taste to them. So, you know, there are a couple of favorites that I have and that's really, you know, it becomes just a little, um, you know, daily detox ritual that you're doing, you know, right there and you won't think of it as such, but, you know, you are detoxing at the same time every single day with every cup of green tea that you have. Are there any other foods you like for the liver or do you want to move on to the kidneys? Um, just one quick mention, the, the seaweed chlorella, um, because that's also, um, you know, it's, it's less common in that you don't eat it. It's more, it comes more as a supplement form or as a powder form, but it has um, alginic acid in it, which is super, super important to um, absorb toxins. And especially when you are through going through a, um, an activated detoxification process, like you're doing heavy metal detox, you know, with chelators and so on, then this can be a very good supporting supplement to help absorb the toxins that are kind of stirred up in your system and you don't want them to settle back in again. You want them to be drawn out. Um, so the chlorella uh, supplements are, you know, a good choice to, to support the liver there too. Um, but the kidney, we can move on to, to the kidneys, of course. Um, the urine filters the urine. So um, the kidneys, what they do is they um, – they, they basically help to, to <laughs> you know, uh, uh, gather up and, and finish the, the, the toxins inside the urine and clear it all out through the urine. So first of all, with obviously drinking, keep yourself hydrated with simple liquids, clear liquids. Um, so the green tea will help with that, but also obviously simple water. Just keep yourself hydrated because you're really, really supporting the liver, um, uh, the kidneys, I'm sorry. When, when I went through uh, chemotherapy, um, you know, I, I drank like crazy. I would, um, the two days before my chemo regimen, I would start. I would, in the end, basically triple the amount that I was drinking every day. But um, it helped to flush through the toxicity so the side effects weren't that severe. And it really, really made a difference. Uh, everyone would used to laugh because I'd arrive for my chemotherapy session with my bags and I had like six big, you know, uh, water bottles with me and they would all laugh. And I mean, obviously with my little pole, I would have to use the bathroom a couple of times. But um, I didn't experience the same level of, of side effects and toxicity that many of the others did. Um, so, you know, it, it really makes a difference to stay hydrated. But foods too, we, we, we go into the herbs here a little bit. Um, parsley and cilantro are two very, very powerful 
kidney supporters. Um, so they're not just condiments. They should really be part of your food. So parsley, for example, you can very easily include in your smoothies or even in your juicing as well. Um, cilantro has a bit of a more pungent taste to it. So unless you're kind of a hardcore juicer, that you know, you, you it kind of dominates everything that you do. But just include it a lot. Um, sprinkle it on your um, your food, you know, what, whatever food you cook, you can sprinkle fresh herbs onto it if you think about it, not just salads. Um, and that way you actually get the benefit of that herb as well. That's what I do. Um, like every meal that I have, I put uh, fresh sprouts, broccoli sprouts, onion sprouts, yeah. radish sprouts, and yeah. I put tons of herbs. I just planted an herb garden over the weekend. I'm super, super, super excited about that. I've got parsley and cilantro and all different types of herbs. It's so important because they're so nutrient dense. They are. They are. And um, you mentioned the broccoli seeds. Um, so the vegetable broccoli itself, of course, is is a great um, vegetable to have, period. <laughs> so um, not only does it have, you know, the, the phytonutrients that we find in broccoli, um, very important ones, um, and the ones that we know, um, sulforaphane, are really, really great, um, have ca anti-cancer compounds in them, but it's also great for as a detoxifier. Again, supports liver and kidneys. But the broccoli seed and the sprouts from that are so much more potent. So any sprout really is kind of has very concentrated nutrients because it's the seed developing into the plant needing to grow. So it has the benefit of being, you know, super, super potent. And uh, we get the benefits of that by, you know, if we consume those sprouts, um, we're getting a hefty dose of nutrients right there and then. So that's definitely a, a good thing to include as well. Um, again, you can throw it into anything that you eat, but, um, and it's very easy to sprout them yourself. Or again, most supermarkets will actually have them now. Um, so the word is getting out. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I'm just about to buy a little, yeah. you know, a, a little machine so I can plant a bunch of different types, not plant, but just sprout a lot of different types of sprouts like mung beans and uh, yes. broccoli seeds, onion, radish. I just love sprouts so much. And they're so nutrient dense. Like the broccoli sprouts can be 400 times more yeah. nutrient dense than the actual broccoli. The actual it's just, broccoli plant. Absolutely. It's unbelievable how yeah. nutrient yeah. dense they are. Yeah. And, um, you know, and you don't need to eat a lot. So people often say to me, I'm not hungry and I, I just, you know, don't have an appetite, which, you know, for various reasons that can, can be. And then you say, well, at least get some sprouts into you because you don't need to eat a lot. You can have just a little handful. Um, that might be okay for you, but you're getting, you know, very nutrient dense food that way. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And then if we look at the lymphatic system that I wanted to focus on too, now why, that's often overlooked and people go, what is that? Um, because you, we, we, we don't understand it very well. We don't talk about it a lot. But, you know, think of it this way. Um, and I'll never forget, um, I don't know if you recall, there, there's this bodies um, exhibit um, of all these bodies, um, you know, that basically show every part of the body um, exhibited. And these were bodies that were donated. Um, they're all Asian bodies, but they give you kind of an, 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 a very detailed insight into the human body. And we went to one of those years ago, the kids were still little. And there was the exhibit of the lymphatic system. And it basically, it was fascinating to see even how they <laughs> extracted that. I don't want to, you know, go, go into too much detail. I don't want to imagine that. <laughs> but visually, if you think about it, so the entire shape of the body has um, lots of little spider-like veins going through it, um, similar to our blood vessels, but these are lymphatic vessels. And they are, you know, every in every certain spots, there are little nodules. Those are your so-called lymph nodes. And then you, they, they, these lymph ves lymphatic vessels sprout out of them. And they carry waste products from your body, even natural waste products from your body. They collect them in the lymph nodes and they carry them throughout your body to your organs of elimination. And they are not attached to a pump like our blood vessels are attached to our heart. So our heart pumps our blood through the body. It happens automatically. Lymphatic fluid relies on muscle contraction. That's why it's so important to keep moving and to do some form of exercise because only with muscle contraction, we're actually moving the lymph um, tissue around our body. So the lymphatic system is incredibly powerful uh, and it really is, is, is systemic. It affects the entire system. 
So we can really support that um, with, you know, there's a manual process called skin brushing. I'm sure you talk about that, where we just brush in circular motion starting at the bottom. And, and it's, we don't have to even rub very hard, but we just, you know, we just kind of activate the skin. So that's a manual procedure we can do. Um, but then from a nutrition point of view, um, uh, again, we go back to, the, to, to kind of the herbs and the spices, but ginger and turmeric are the you know two key um roots little root that we can include so everyone knows the ginger root and and the, the cousin to it is the turmeric root which is looks similar to ginger it's just bright bright orange um and the active ingredient in that is is curcumin so that is what gives it the bright orange color and that's really what is the potent um, uh, kind of medicinal food in this turmeric root so those two which we can by the way also include in our juicing and a little bits though because they're pretty pungent uh, or even in our smoothies um, throw them in there a little bit of ginger a little bit of turmeric and um, those are very potent lymphatic um, uh, system supporters really that we can do um, uh, include on a regular basis and then, of course, um, the lemons and the limes go fall into that category as well. So one thing that I do is I start my morning with um, I squeeze half a lemon uh, in a little bit of water and um, um, add a little bit, you know, cold water, a little bit of hot water. But that's kind of what I drink before I have anything else, basically on an empty stomach. Now, sometimes I add fresh slices of ginger to that, sometimes some turmeric, uh, depending on what I have. Um, if I'm sick, you know, if I feel a cold coming, I'll dose up on uh, especially the ginger. And sometimes I let that steep overnight. So you just slice those roots and you pour water, hot water over it and let it steep overnight. And in the morning you take those roots out and you add your lemon juice and there's the, your instant um, tonic remedy. Uh, if you have raw honey, you can add honey to that too. And that is really that boosts your immune system as well. Um, but yeah, there's a little couple of tips there for you that you can easily do and think about it. You would do that every single day. You, you can use every single day to help your body do its normal detoxification process. Uh, you know, whether it is compromised or not, whether you have a large heavy metal load or not in this instance, this is something you, you need to eat every single day. So why not make it count? Yeah, I make that a rule. Every single meal, I have to have sprouts. I have to have fresh herbs. And every single day I have a fresh vegetable juice. That's kind of like my little rules yeah. that I have to make sure exactly. I get them in because it's easy to kind of forget about it and forget mm -hmm. to buy the sprouts at the store or just kind of get lazy and not have vegetables yes. with a meal. You know, yeah. you just have to really focus on getting those foods in every single day. So let's talk about juicing. So juicing, mm -hmm. uh, definitely part of the Gerson therapy protocol to what yes. they might require too much juicing and they require I think 13 cups of vegetable juice a day uh, what is your position on juicing for cancer like what kinds of juice do you like to why do you have cancer and to prevent cancer and how much should we be drinking it's a very good question and uh, people ask me that all the time so first of all the Gerson protocol um, let's put it this way it is a therapeutic protocol and you really in, in order to make it be the most effective. You really need to do that almost in their clinic because you don't just drink the juice. You have other procedures that you need to follow at the same time because you're wanting to help your body detoxify. You do coffee enemas a couple of times a day. So there are other um, parts of that protocol than just juicing. And people think it's just drinking a lot of juice every day. No, it's, 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 it's a whole therapeutic protocol that you do um, in on-site right um, if you go back home or if you want to just try this on your own um, same thing again realize that um, you can't perform the full Gerson protocol on yourself without all the other supporting parts to it number one uh, number two understand that if you are juicing 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 all the time you are constantly also raising your blood sugar levels um, that has that effect if you are juicing, if you say I'm going to include one or three juices every day and you're still eating normally and you still have enough, enough uh, a lot of fiber in your diet, because remember with juices you're taking out the fiber, then that can be seen as a 
uh, just a supportive regimen to to add extra nutrients to the body and make them quickly bioavailable. And that's something that you can do, um, you know, if if you if you can if you have the stamina to juice that much. And it it does cost a bit because you know you need lots large quantities of juice. Even if say you just want to be able to juice uh, uh, or enjoy three juices every single day that's a lot of produce it's very expensive through that (laughs) juicer so just bear that in mind um and that is not a um like a a, a treatment protocol so we need to distinguish between like a supporting protocol or regimen and a cancer treatment protocol or regimen so the gerson protocol falls into the alternative treatment regimens and you need to treat it as such and at least kickstart it with uh, in, in a professional way um, but if you're doing it as a supporting a supporting regimen um, you know one juice a day is that's great um, variety okay so think variety you um, can juice all kinds of vegetables um, if we as with everything if we zone in on only juicing and you know these four vegetables every single day well you could be overdoing it um, kale, for example, and, and I can speak from personal experience here. So I was juicing kale every single day. Um, I had gone back to my integrative doctor. We did a, a, a you know, just a, a regular heavy metal check-in and, um, my thallium heavy metal was suddenly sky high and it had never been before. Um, you know, we could compare it before we were all, you know, he was flabbergasted saying, you know, that's a, that's a heavy metal if you're exposed to kind of an industrial site. That's how you would absorb that heavy metal. And I wasn't, um, nor did I have that in my past. And, of course, in my past, uh, just, you know, it was even uh, six months ago, my thallium levels were negligible. And all of a sudden, they were very high. And then I did some research. And, um, you know, kale is high in thallium. As a normal, and this has got nothing to do with its organic or, or, or conventional kale. Kale just has that. So me, by focusing on juicing with kale every single day and not in, not um, varying this, I was actually adding to my heavy metal load. So I just stopped. I stopped using kale because I now wanted to experiment and see if that made if that really was it. Um, and you know, my integrative MD said, "Well, let's give it a try," because uh, I don't have any other answer for you either. Um, stopped and boom, it came all the way down again. So it just goes to show, you know, we can't overdo it either. So everything in moderation, we want to support the body, not actually introduce an additional burden to it. Yeah, I had one comment about thallium. It's it's a naturally occurring metal in petroleum deposits. So we get that from Mm -hmm. breathing in smog and car exhaust. And people that live in urban areas are definitely more affected by that. Correct. And, yeah, and, I, and I'm not out here. So that wasn't, you know, we could rule out those things. That was the interesting thing. And I couldn't say I, I've lived there now or I visited there. I couldn't say any of those things. Yes. So that's kind of where you prick up your ears and go, well, what's going on here? What, what else could, this was like a direct causal relationship where I can definitely say, um, you know, my habit, my nutritional habit, which I thought was a great habit, um, I needed to spread that out and it doesn't mean i don't eat kale i absolutely not kale has really great benefits for you but not exclusively like that that was just um not a wise thing to do so when it comes to juicing um you know use go through the color so i mean the the favorites for juicing are obviously there's some some green um celery stalks uh cucumber uh, ginger or turmeric, um, uh, carrots, uh, beets, um, cabbages, um, you know, those are generally kind of your, your, your staples that I use. I don't know. And, you know, green apple, maybe for some, some, if you want a little bit of sweetness. Um, what about you? What's your favorite? Juice My, like? yes, I'm glad you asked it. My very, very favorite juice is using celery, uh, lime juice, uh, cilantro, a little bit of ginger and a little bit of lemon. And yeah. it just has the most wonderful flavor because I just love the cilantro kind of yes. lime combo. And the celery gives you lots and lots of concentrated minerals. And it's a great liver detoxifier. Um, but I really like that you mentioned that you still eat kale, even though it has, you know, you're aware that it has some thallium in it. Because I think what people need to really be aware of is that 
most of our food supply has metals and chemicals in it. Even if it's yep. organic, the soils yep. have lead, the soils have metals, the the water it's irrigated with has metals, the air has uh, you know metals that land yep. on on the, the the vegetables and meats and things like that. So it, it's maybe have some awareness of what foods have the most metals in them and maybe avoid those. But everything in moderation, like you said, we can't just single out any foods and completely avoid them because all all the food is contaminated today it's really more about thinking about a sensible lifelong detox strategy thinking about detox as a lifestyle exactly and that's my point is moderation so let's not go crazy because we hear this is good for you but let's let's space it out let's 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 offer variety introduce variety because we have variety and there's a reason for example if we also think about that you know, when we have seasonal vegetables, there's a reason for that, you know. Um, it's actually pretty healthy to, you know, you have a certain concentrated time of year in which certain fruits and vegetables are in season, so that's what you eat, and then you move on to the next, and you, you don't have access to this. I mean, only in modern day and time do we have access to, um, you know, that which is not necessarily locally seasonal. Now, having said that, I mean, we would never have access to bananas, for example, <laughs> out yeah. here in the Northeast. So, I mean, there's some benefit to it too. But overall, understand that this fluctuation and this variety in moving, and um, it, it has a point. Yes, yes. Mm-hmm. And so let's talk about some of the worst foods to that promote cancer. Because, you know, my father passed away from his cancer treatments. He developed esophageal cancer. Uh, he had quit smoking for seven years prior, but he smoked for 40 years. And unfortunately, that was the price he paid, but he passed from his cancer treatments. But I was blown away that his doctor had this list of foods for him to eat. And it was I was horrified that he was told to eat uh, crackers and just, just processed foods, hor- horrible foods. And reduces salt intake where we we need sea salt for our body to to function and minerals. So let's talk about some of the worst foods that people can eat uh, when they have cancer, getting cancer treatments, and maybe that cause cancer outright. Funny you mention that as an example because, uh, you know, when when I was going through my chemotherapy treatments and uh, the the snacks that were offered in the chemotherapy room was... So let's start with that. So, you know, packaged food is not real food. Now, I do understand that in today's day and age, we can't quite go without, you know, we do need to include some, but at least include that, which we we kind of know is not tainted. So um, if um, the, all the snacky foods and so on, you know, we, we need to snack with real food. We need to understand that, um, that is what gives us nourishment and we don't want to introduce, you know, anything else to it. But w- what we can do is, is with all the packaged foods, which are high in, in the wrong types of fats, um, high in the different types of sugar, you know, a lot of the products out there these days, you know, sugar, um, sugar is antibacterial too, right? When our previous dog, um, cut his paw and it wouldn't heal properly and, and they tried to stitch it and it kept on popping open and she said to me, you know what we need to do? It, we, it needs to heal by itself from inside out. It's going to take about three months. He needs to have a bandaged paw and all you're going to do every single day is when you change the dressing is you put sugar on it. I said, <laughs> what? <laughs> she said, sugar. So first of all, I had to go out and wi- buy white table sugar because I didn't have that in my house anymore and it's true. It's true. It's antibacterial. So, you know, all right. So sugar is used a lot in processed uh, foods in all different shapes and forms. So we've gotten used to all the sugar consumption. And um, it, it's it's just, you know, we when you start analyzing how much sugar you get, because you think I'll just stop eating the cakes and the pastries, but then um, you, you continue buying packaged foods. Start reading labels and figure out, see where, where how much sugar there is in each product and understand that the impact that that has in particular for cancer growth. So, and for uh, influencing our, our blood sugar regulation mechanism in the body, that's really the key here. Um, many of us are not aware that we are doing that. So the processed foods, you know, um, packaged foods, like let's keep that to bare minimum and let's make sure that we understand all the ingredients that are listed. And, and we don't want this whole laundry list of, 
of ingredients. Um, you know, what the hell is that? That's not food. So that then, of course, the incredibly sugary treats, you know, things in the United States are very, very high on sugar. Um, walking down a standard bread aisle in any supermarket, you know, where you have the packaged breads ready on, in, in the aisles, just smell, just smell. All you smell is sugar. Um, you won't notice it unless you actually do that, but just smell, sniff. Um, we were in Europe now over summer and uh, we have family there. And, you know, I, I indulged in one or two pieces of cake over there. You know why? Because it's not sweet. They look like they are sugar bombs, but they are not. And that's the whole key is we don't have to have that level of sweetness in our products, but we do here in the United States, unfortunately. So that's, you know, we, we, we used to that level of sweetness. And, and when we moved here 17 years ago, you know, we got used to it, which was scary in itself. Again, your taste buds adjust to that level of sweetness. So we have to start training ourselves to, to wanting less sweet. And, um, you know, I'll loop back to what I was saying at the beginning of our interview. It takes time. Give it time. But you, you will succeed at that if you stick with it and if you make sure that you nourish yourself and you keep yourself um, full and, 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 and satisfied with proteins and with healthy doses of fat. Um, if you keep that in balance, then you can actually work on, um, you know, slowly but surely breaking down that that need for the sugary taste and you will start eating things and realize I can't eat this. It's just too sweet. I'm even now at that point where I can't even eat a full banana and that's, and that's, that's a real whole food, right? But it is too sweet for me. I don't, my body just doesn't like that anymore. Now I took a while to get to that point. I really want that point to really hone in. I, I, I it doesn't happen overnight. It can't be forced on your system. You have to get your system used to that. But that's the one big, big area where we can really make a big difference is reducing our dependence on the sweet taste. And that starts by, you know, reading labels and making sure that we just make other choices and start making things ourselves. Um, you know, bake your own goods, reduce the sugar content slowly but surely. And especially your children, don't get them used to this because, you know, um, that's where it all starts. And that's why there's this indulgence in, in you know, just giving kids what they want and, and, and not allowing them to eat anything because they're they used to that high, high level of sweetness through all the snacks and, and, and packaged foods. And it's just, you know, sugar used to be a treat. Like when maple syrup, you know, things, you know, they, they would, in, in winter, you know, if you think about it, they would use uh, maple syrup and, um, you know, freeze that. And that was like the treat of the year when the, the, you know, the maple trees were releasing the maple syrup, but that was like a once off thing. So we enjoy sweet. We are supposed to enjoy sweet, but you know, as occasional treats and in, in moderation and not to that same degree that that is now total standard. I know. And like so many people today that are age, they're just set up to be sugar addicts. Uh, growing mm. up with the, with the advent in the 70s of the processed foods, packaged foods, cereals, and yeah. things like that. Yeah. As so many people just grew yeah. up eating only sugar. Yeah. And so you have to really protect your, your child's health by trying not to repeat that same pattern out of modern convenience and feeding them mm. the packaged foods. And I've almost completely cut out going to restaurants because the the sugar content and the sauces gets me or in the salad mm. dressings this the regular yeah. salt that's typically used just makes me feel really sick so i'm just really focusing on eating only at home in as much as possible um but let's talk uh, a little bit about um for those who've been diagnosed with cancer or or know a loved one who's suffering from cancer what do you recommend as a first step in pursuing self-help to aid in their healing process so <laughs> Sounds like an intro to my program. Um, um, that's I, I created a program called First Steps to Take Control of Your Cancer Care for exactly that moment because it's so, you know, people generally go onto the internet. Um, and uh, apart from the fact, first of all, that you're pretty overwhelmed. Um, so either you have the mental capacity to do it yourself or you have your everyone around you doing and going hopping onto the internet and coming up with all kinds of recommendations. And there is so much information out there. Uh, a lot of it is conflicting. It can be incredibly overwhelming. Um, but, um, you need to kind of know where to start. And I think, where do you start? You need to understand what type of cancer you have. And 
we kind of just kind of tune out. And I, I, I was there myself, so I get it. You tune out, you know, you have cancer, but, you know, cancer is not cancer. And we need to understand what type of cancer do I have? That will determine also, um, you know, what treatment options I have. Because, you know, we, there are different treatment options out there. And the conventional treatment options, to a degree, have their place. And to a degree are, you know, it, you kind of have to be a bit mindful of them. So you always have to kind of understand, is, is my cancer uh, curative or, or not? Is, is the treatment offered kind of considered to be palliative, meaning that, um, you know, we actually can't cure you. We can just kind of try and reduce the time that you're probably going to die. I mean, I'm sounding very brutal here, but that's really what palliative is all about. So understand where you are on this particular spectrum. And then know that you have options. And, um, you know, this is not a quick question to, to, to answer. But um, once you kind of get a, get a grips on that, then understand that there can be very many complementary options that work with your conventional team and find yourself a team. You will need a team. You will need some you will need an oncologist, actually more than one. You probably will need a standard oncologist because you need to keep yourself monitored and you need to have access to the diagnostic tools that are out there to to look at things. You, you do need to know where is this cancer? Is it growing? Is it big? Where else is it in the body? You need to have that information. And we have diagnostic tools available these days to give to tell us that. And that can only be accessed uh, through a standard uh, oncologist, but choose them wisely because they need to understand that you are assembling a team. And even though they might not directly work with that team, you are as a patient empowering yourself. And, you know, you're not just going to refer to that particular oncologist. You're going to also listen to what the other team members are saying. And other team members will include often there are naturopathic oncologists out there that can often work hand in hand with your traditional oncologist. Um, and uh, again, depending on where you are on the cancer spectrum, sometimes they can offer certain treatments too. It really depends, you know, what chances do you really have? Then absolutely have a, a cancer nutrition expert on your team um, because we can do so much uh, to help you through treatments, to help you post-cancer and to also focus, you know, once, say, you're going through active treatment, um, what happens afterwards? You know, how do you, how do you strengthen this body again? How do you, what do you do to this? To, how, how do you observe yourself and how, you know, um, what are the, 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 the body functions that you need to focus on now so that you can actually absorb the nutrients? Um, so it's not just about what you eat afterwards. It's also, can you actually digest it? Can you absorb the nutrients? And, um, you know, a, a qualified nutritionist can, help you through that and, and take you step by step through that plus implementing it, you know, making it work. Um, then of course there are the other, the, 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 mind side of it. And you need to have someone on your team there too, because cancer isn't just a physical, um, uh, it doesn't just have a physicality. Yes, you have the physical tumor or tumors, but there's a mental side and an energetic side to it too. And you need to have people on that side on your team too. So you need to start amassing a team and that can morph, but you need to have a team to help you through this health journey. Yeah. Cause when you go to a, your conventional oncologist, you're typically only given chemo and radiation as options. Why is that? Why is that the case in the United States? Um, it isn't just a case in the United States and chemo and radiation are just two of a whole list of options. Surgery mm -hmm. falls into that too. It's also a form of cancer treatment. Um, you can get um, vaccinations as well, even in the conventional oncology treatment. Um, you get immunotherapy, you know, they're making great strides there. There was just Nobel uh, Prize for, I think it was medicine, right, was just awarded um, for I think it was a uh, Japanese and American um, scientist or researchers who worked on the, the whole concept of immunotherapy, which is how do we stimulate the immune system to start fighting the cancer, which is kind of a huge inroad into the you know, cancer treatments because it kind of makes sense to do that. Um, so, you know, when, when you take traditional medicine, it needs to be a scientifically evidence-based. So you need to go through um, um, all the research and the clinical trials and all of that takes time um, to administer that because you want it to be repeatable. You want to find something that you can apply in certain scenarios. Um, so again, look at the options, look at what they're offering, but um, demand that they are open 
to you receiving support elsewhere and, and, and because you want to collaborate, you want to work together. And if you find an, a traditional oncologist that really still thinks that, um, you know, the cancer patient should only listen to them and they don't want to communicate or even listen to what the patient has to say when they bring certain information to the table, um, then choose another one. Um, I always come from a point of view of you need to understand where these doctors come from as well, because you can, I get that too. Clients that approach me and say, I've started with doing, um, and, and I'll call them a little, a little bit of this and a little bit of that therapies. Um, I don't want chemo. I don't want radiation. I'm doing a little bit of that. And I'll say, please don't, because, you know, in that time period, you, that, you need to understand cancer is can be very aggressive, can be very sneaky, and it constantly adapts. It is, it's smart. So we have to apply that same aggression that we find in conventional treatments to any natural approaches that we do. And it, it, you can't just, you, you have to monitor yourself carefully all the time. So going the only natural route is very, very costly. Understand that, people don't. You really have to be at it totally disciplined and all the time. Every single day, you'll spend a couple of hours in trying to do some protocol, whether it be with nutritional support, whether it be protocols and things that you need to do at home. When, you, when you've done the Gerson, uh, therapy, for example, and you do that in the clinic for a specific period of time, and then you come home, what do you think you're doing at home every single day, dedicating a couple of hours to the aftercare? Understand that you need to put that time in, that dedication in, and that investment in. That's only how you could tackle um, cancer if you're only doing it the natural way, if you have a chance, if the cancer isn't progressed too far. It really, really depends. But, you know, there are just different modalities in which we're fighting cancer, and we need to be open to all of them. I want to see more communication and more collaboration. That's the key here. My question was really more about how in the United States people go to an oncologist, and they're typically only given chemo and radiation as an option, where in Europe they might be given all kinds of uh, nutrition, natural mo modalities, and many other options. But in the U.S., because it's licensing restrictions, medical doctors can kind of only offer those options than the immunotherapy that you talked about. Uh, but uh, it's really dependent on the patient to educate themselves about alternative treatments because they're not going to get that information yeah. from their medical doctor typically. Yeah. I think you, you hit the nail on the head with the licensing thing. Um, it's not part of the standard of care. And um, there's no education and there's no green light <clears throat> given from the industry um, to be able to include that. So they kind of have their hands tied very often. So unless you break out of that and you really become an integrative oncologist, and, and there is that. Um, the Society for Integrative Oncology um, is a group like that. So they're composed of traditional oncologists from all over the world. I attended their annual conference last year. I'm a member of them because it was just fascinating to me to 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 understand what they are all about. And they are the ones who are stepping outside the box. They're still working within their traditional cancer centers. And some of the big wigs were there, you know, Memorial Sloan Kettering or MD Anderson were there, as well as smaller cancer centers were there. Um, but they're communicating, they're collaborating, they're including um, traditional Chinese medicine. They're looking at all what, what, what uh, Asia does in their centers where they offer conventional treatments such as chemo, radiation, immunotherapy, but they also always have some uh, Eastern medicine aspect to it. So there is a group that talks about this, but when you get back to reality, you take Memorial Sloan Kettering here in New York, huge facility. They have four integrative oncologists only. So if you are newly diagnosed and you say, I want to have an appointment, you can wait three to four months. Okay, so that's the stark reality. They don't like that either. They'd like to see this movement expand, but even they have a tough time often explaining it to their colleagues because there's still uh, the mindset, there hasn't been a complete shift in the mindset yet to accept that we need to combine to find different approaches and that the body is an incredible uh, incredible uh, biodynamic system um, and that we may not, um, you know, we, we, we may be able to include other forms of treatment modalities um, that, uh, you know, have an effect on, on how effective certain treatments are. 
So when I was diagnosed the first time, we were actually living in Munich in Germany. And um, that was a traditional cancer center too. Now, right next to it was a naturopathic clinic. Right next to it, there was a passage that linked the two buildings. So I thought, cool, I'll go next door and see how they'll help me through the treatments. And um, you know what they told me? They said, come back afterwards. Come back when your treatments are done. They, pointing back to the hospital, don't want to work with us while you're going through treatment. Oh, wow. So you had the same block there. Uh, And I mean, um, you know, there are other cancer centers, smaller cancer centers that combine everything. Same as what you find here. So you just really have to do your homework and then figure out, Who do I have access to in my immediate environment? And if I don't have such an integrative cancer center close to me that makes it uh, possible for me to go, then find people in your community and and, and create a team. And um, that's another option that you have if you're newly diagnosed. Well, Karsten, thank you so much. That was so interesting. I know that listeners are, you know, really been craving this type of podcast, talking about the top foods that help to detox the body. It's something we actually haven't talked about before for for some reason. I don't know why. (laughs) So thank you so much for coming on the show and sharing with us. So tell the listeners where they can find you and learn more about you and work with you. I have a website. So my first name is Kirsten. Let me spell that for you. It's K-I-R-S-T-I-N. So it's not Kristen. No, it's Kirsten. K-I-R-S-T-I-N. Kirsten. Website is kirstenscancercare.com. So you take my first name, K-I-R-S-T-I-N. You add an S for Sam, and then you put cancer care at the end of that. Kirstenscancercare.com. I am the best-selling author of my book called Confessions of a Cancer Conqueror, my five-step process to transform your relationship with cancer, because that's what we need to do. Uh, We need to transform the relationship we have with it, not see it as the enemy. That uh, book, you can access that actually through my website. So I have a free chapter opt-in there for you. Um, I have a Facebook page. I'm on LinkedIn, um, Twitter. You can find me. Um, Also, I... um, host a regular Facebook lives too on my business page, Kirstein's Cancer Care, same name. And uh, I do have a program, an online program for those of you that don't necessarily want to start uh, coaching with me because that's always a, you know, over a longer period of time. It's called First Steps to Take Care of Your, sorry, First Steps to Take Control of Your Cancer Care. You can find that on my website as well. Fantastic. Well, Kirsten, thank you so much for coming on the show. And everyone, thanks for listening. You can learn more about me, Wendy Myers, at MyersDetox.com. I have hundreds of articles, hundreds of podcasts, focus on detoxification where you can learn more. Thanks so much for joining us. And you can join me on Facebook at Myers Detox. And we will talk to you next week.